Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. Welcome to another episode of the People of Packaging podcast. Today we are going to have Robert Champion. Robert is the president of Inaflex Solutions. And Inaflex is doing some really cool things, helping connect OEMs to CPG companies. But Robert has a really cool story. He went from corporate America working for some incredible companies like Nestle and Kellogg's. And he went out on his own and he's helping to bridge the gap and helping companies understand uh, who are making packaging equipment how to go in and talk to companies and solve some real world problems in those companies. So uh, you're going to learn a lot about Robert, a lot about his company, Interflex Solutions, and we are so excited to to tell his story. Uh, You get myself and you get Ted on this interview. So I hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody to yet another episode. We are cranking these out during COVID uh, because you guys are all sick of the Tiger King and you're sick of Netflix. And I know that what you want to do is you want to listen to some people talk about packaging. So uh, this is a great episode. Uh, we've got Robert Champion, Ted Tate, is, am I, and I are uh, conducting the interview together. So that's super fun and exciting. Robert, welcome to the People of Packaging podcast. Well, Adam, thank you for inviting me, and it's it's an exciting time, uh, and also, Ted, to be a part of this podcast, so thank you. Very interesting getting to it. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm I'm excited because you're just doing some cool stuff. You've got a a really cool background, and, you know, you and I have talked about, you know, things like packaging, and, uh, you know, I'm as we've discussed, like I have a pastoral background and we shared that. So it's just cool to meet, you know, meet people where you got a lot of that in common. Um, and I'm excited to, to dig into wherever the conversation goes. Remember the old books, the choose your own adventure. <laughs> Do you remember those? I don't know. Oh don't know. man. So you I, I was books. probably out playing baseball or something. <laughs> <laughs> so there were these, there were these books that were written there. You would read it and then you would say, it would said like, and if you would, if you would say yes to this question, turn to page oh. 62. And if you would say uh-huh. no, turn to page 50. And then it, you had to, you, you, the uh, yeah. it's always different. Anyway, uh, sometimes that's how these interviews go. Uh, so Robert, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? You know, who are you and where do you live? And just some of the, you know, kind of yeah. some of the details of your life. Yeah, good. Thanks. Thanks, Ken Adam. Yeah. So, again, Robert Champion, um, it's very interesting to talk about yourself. It becomes uh, a little bit like, ah, where do I start? You know, I start reflecting back, uh, you know, life's journey. One of the important things about me when I think about life is life's journey, right? So you reflect back on things you've done. And then, you know, you know, hindsight is, you know, 2020 because you can see the results of good decisions and bad. But at the end of the day, it's all a journey. So I think one of the things for me was if I go back, talk about, you know, just a little bit about my beginning and proud to say it. Right. So, uh, you know, grew up on the south side of Chicago, uh, you know, in the 70s. I'm dating myself. But, you know, as a preteen back in the 70s, I, you know, one of the things I remember the most about growing up in, in our times was that there were a lot of activities that the, the, the community involved uh, 
provide it. For instance, you could go to our local park districts and learn uh, woodworking. You could learn how to run track. You could play basketball. You could ice skate. We ice skated in the winter. Uh, we played hockey, rode, uh, got on sleds in the wintertime. We may do with our environment, which is a very good environment. And there was a lot of cohesion. There were a lot of mentors around at that time too. So when we played baseball as a young person, there were people we looked up to that played semi-pro baseball and we were playing Little League. And so we would adore how they would play. We would adore the uniforms that they, they had on and just have a, a role model that probably didn't know your name, but you were just insightful about what they did and how they did it. And I think the biggest thing, if I reflect back on my childhood, was my influence of my father. Mm -hmm. I think in these times right now, having, uh, for me, a male influence has laid the foundation for my life. Example, my father was, uh, he had his own construction company. So he was an entrepreneur at heart, right? So he, you would call him a handyman, glorified handyman that could do everything, that was always busy. Where my brothers, four brothers and myself, me being the oldest, we worked in his business in the summertime. So the deal was, if you wanted to play baseball, which we love, you had to work for him in our summer breaks, the beginning of the morning till about three in the afternoon, then we would squeeze in baseball. So one of the, the foundational things he laid in my life, my brother's life was the value of ownership, the value of being an entrepreneur and the value of creating something that could empower other people to be part of the journey. So if I reflect back on Robert Champion, it starts from my childhood because the seed was planted then and through my career, I took a very different route getting my engineering degree. So we'll talk about growing up in the public school system of uh, Chicago. You know, very good system at the time, we learned a lot. But I took an untraditional route going through college. So mm -hmm. coming out of grammar school and high school, I was gonna go to Pepperdine University in California. I was telling my daughter recently. And uh, because of my family's circumstances at the time, I stayed home and I went to junior college first. So I started out in junior college, Olive Harvey College in Chicago, south side of Chicago. And I went there and I started out in an intern program working for a company called, at that time, American National Can, which is a big supplier of cans to the beverage industry. Okay. And again, again here, mentorship and internship helped groom me of being around people that were seasoned in the industry, uh, watching what they did, how they did it, um, applying what I learned in the classroom, real time, inside American National Camp. So from that journey, uh, it led me to mechanical engineering, okay. which is where my passion was. Actually, it's architectural engineering. But somehow I got my hands around mechanical engineering. I, I, I like intricate things and how to figure things out um, and challenges, right? So I think engineering overall is, is about challenge and creativity and about driving for results, yeah? Yeah, now I got two questions for you on that. Sure. Uh, number one is, uh, you, you know, you, you're talking about Chicago and baseball. So which is it? I don't know. Yeah. South side of Chicago, is that like you what? have to be a White Sox fan or do you have to be like, how does that work? I don't know. Adam, that's a, that's a great question because growing up, my friends and I, we, we didn't know. I had friends that were uh, Sox fans, but we were Cub fans, right? So okay. it was who was your favorite player? I don't know how it happened, but there are certain players you just like. I don't know, you like their style, position that yeah. they played, you mimic after them. So, no, it's just basically you didn't have to be loyal to, okay. you know, the team on your side of the town. Okay. And who was your favorite player? My player, his favorite player was Jose Cardinal, was a shortstop. Jose Cardinal. Probably never heard of him, but he played for several teams. And also Ernie Banks, uh, Ron Santoter. I could name the whole team. 
because sure, we'd just I'm be sure. a loyal fan. Yeah. My, but that's uh, how I mimic. We would go play mimicking them. And again, back to life, I'll talk more about my life journey. A lot of my growth and development have been from observation and application hmm. for success. My second question is really silly. Uh, but again, sticking in Chicago, uh, you referred to yourself in the third person. You said the story of Robert Champion. And I know another famous Chicago resident, uh, Kanye West, does that often. Is that something that just comes naturally with growing up in Chicago? Or I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Yeah, you know, that's a good question. Hey, I don't even know. It's just subliminal, I guess. I shouldn't have done that. But No, yeah, no, no. It was, it was awesome. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah, it's taking uh, yourself out and then trying to narrate about your life, I guess. I know if yeah. that's down. Yeah. yeah. That's the uh, cool. Yeah. My buddy, one of my best friends in the whole world growing up because, you know, WGN and I lived, yeah. I lived in Colorado before the Rockies were there. So they were just Cubs fans because that's just who you watched. And yeah. so I adore the him, you know, always talking to he, it was like Ryan Sandberg and Andre Dawson, that crew. Oh, that was a different era. I love them a too. Different era. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, was, it was a different era. Lots of Cubs fans out there. Um, that's cool. And so, um, you, you you got into engineering, um, and you've taught. You've mentioned this a couple times already about the importance of mentorship. So, uh, you know, your your father, and then also just some other people. What was that like? Uh, you know, going through school and even into some early jobs. Yeah. So one of the things I learned that listening is very is a very good skill set, um, and like knowledge is power, but wisdom is application of knowledge. And what I found is, um, you know, if you look at personality traits also of individuals, you know, I've done a lot of, uh, you know, work or uh, some trainings around personalities, knowing people, their, their culture, their, uh, how they're made, their thought process will help you. So, you know, I thought, for me, one of the earlier books I read in my career was Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, written many years ago, and the training's about that. That book is so powerful because... I believe at the end of the day, you know, knowledge is great, but without application and then doing it through people, you won't be very successful, right? So um, I, I found that uh, just by uh, the mentorship aspect allowed me to observe, ask questions, go back, apply, re-ask the question again, and I learned very rapidly that way. Um, I believe in minimizing mistakes, uh, I don't have to be the first one to try it to fail. I learn quickly from others and then re make my own fewer mistakes, right? Because time is of the essence. Yeah, no doubt. It's very interesting because uh, that's what I, I teach my kids is, you know, you don't have to make the mistakes. If you observe the people around you, you can learn from their mistakes and just don't go down the same path. So it, I, that's the, what I live by. I have an older brother who made some mistakes and whenever he would get in trouble, I'd say, okay, I'm not doing that. <laughs> or I'll do that in a different way so I don't get in trouble, you know. So yeah. I, I grew up learning from, you know, other people's mistakes. Sure. I'm not a glutton for punishment. No. And I think with life having a time span on it, so if you look at individuals, if you talk about us as entities, and I'm, again, you know, you know, what do you add to life? Life is, have a certain time frame, right? So I think we need to maximize what we do with the time we have. And I think we get fooled because um, when you're 20s and 30s, you think, you know, you don't even look at 
what does 40 and 50 look like until you get there and you look backwards and you say whatever i didn't do now i need to be i need to accelerate it and get it done and hopefully i can get it done because we all have a gift to lead someone is is where do we leave it in corporate do we leave it in community first start at home with family um and that's firmly what i believe yeah well um you know, you, you hit on one of my favorite verses, actually, which is uh, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So when you're talking about, you know, wisdom is knowledge applied, uh, man, that I, I wrote that down, too. That was uh, I think we're going to have a lot of you should start a quote book is what I'm trying to say. Like you have a lot of wisdom already. We're only, you know, whatever it is, 10 minutes in. So uh, I'm, I'm I'm excited. You. Uh, you entered into the the corporate world, and, and I'm excited to get into what you're doing now. But what were those uh, sort of you know corporate jobs like? I know you've worked for some OEMs, you've worked for some sure. CPG companies, and um, you know so maybe talk talk through your your work yeah. experience. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Again, work yeah. is if I look at the roadmap. So if you said what was the roadmap to get to where I I landed, uh, I I'll just say it this way i follow the way the water was flowing and what do i mean by that uh i had always had to remember from being a young guy my father the ambition to do more and to do more than i was able to do so again at 12 14 15 we were painting houses we were putting gutters up we were hanging drywall things that people in their 20s would do but we did more with what strength we had so when I started reflecting back on my career in engineering, I was always the youngest in the group, right? So I started off American National Can in like 1920, right? Everyone else is in their 30s. So socially, there was a disadvantage. So if you look at today with boomers and millennials, is how do you thresh through that, that gap so that we win? And that's one opportunity in corporate, corporate America today. I'll talk about Inflex Solutions, how we can help bridge that. So one of the things was, you know, I wasn't too forward. I was kind of reserved, my personality, uh, because I was at an age disadvantage. But what I was, was I was smart enough to try. I was not afraid to fail. And because I had the aptitude, uh, mechanical engineering aptitude, I wasn't afraid to try to be inquisitive, right? So when I said my journey was like water, you know, I followed where it would lead me. So, you know, for instance, you know, getting married, uh, in my mid-20s, my wife and I decided, you know, maybe it's time to make a move. So economically, I made changes because two reasons. One, I wanted to learn more. And if I felt stagnant um, and the right opportunity, I didn't seek opportunities. They always have come to me. You know, I would listen at the right time. And for my family, we made a decision to make a, a career change. And the career change always through my career was for growth. It wasn't about the dollar value being an 8% increase or 10% increase or 20%. It was about, is there a bogey out here that I haven't attained that I can probably grow my skill set? Mm-hmm. So every role was a skill set builder. So at American National Can, we left there and we went to work for some smaller companies. Then I landed a real good uh, career job at a company called Paxall Clyborne in Chicago, which was bought out by SASIB, S-A-S-I-B which is owned by someone else now. And they were in primary, secondary, and treasury packaging equipment. So the design, the engineering, the building, 
the shipping installation is where I really cut my teeth. And basically everything from coming off the drawing board, which I'm dating myself to going onto uh, CAD systems, you know, learning all that was basically just driving through. So I, one of the key things was I was never afraid again to try for more. And I've always had, for some reason, favor and that probably I didn't see in myself before. Always someone older that pulled me on their team and said, hey, I want you to work on this part of the machine, et cetera. And I got going and we delivered results. So everything was incremental building. So fast forward through my OEM experience, I, I end up in Michigan, uh, where I'm based today, working for a big uh, OEM company called Elopack Incorporated out of Oslo, Norway, which is a big competitor at the time to Evergreen Packaging. Uh, to their systems um, and also a, sort of a quasi competitor to Tetra Pak, which is very big, as you know, in the bricks, a small yep. retail size. But we're, and, and I'm, a, I'm jumping through some job changes and titles because that's really is not all that important to me. What's important okay. to me is building people and building character. So I, let me back up a bit. So in my journey, I've always built teams and, and I had a vision for what the team should look like. I was entrusted to build that team with a strategy and we deliver results. So that's, again, has built my, my building block. So at Elopac, I uh, started out in the early 2000s, no, late 90s, I'm sorry. And uh, I had three or four different roles in about five years, five or six years. Uh, my most significant role was handling their uh, design engineering group and their project engineering group at some point in time, had both. The most important value I had, uh, strategy and value I had was taking a department that only had X quantity of people and building 75% of the department staff with a plan on how we would drive and build and design these high, very expensive, high-end uh, filling machines, right, for the dairy industry, juice industry, wine industry. Uh, we're talking about machines with very uh, sophisticated systems from HVAC system, clean air, uh, to sterilization systems to some very intricate, uh, there's all these subsystems. So the equipment at the time was, you know, I'm just giving the framework on, on the value of it. It was between nine, $900,000 to over a million dollars, right? One yeah. piece of machinery. And uh, so the big piece here was we had a chance, I had a chance to hire talent, have that talent lead other teams to duplicate results. And at the end of the day, we were able to expand our portfolio meaning we're able to sell equipment to other parts of the market that we were basically landlocked in. For instance, we were able to design machines that did yogurt, that filled yogurt in a, a gable top carton vertically. So we're talking about high viscous and low viscous yogurt, pourable and a little thick. Well, this had never been done before. You had one side, one in one carton, you were able to fill strawberry, chocolate, and you had a syrup in between. So you had these three different distinct uh, uh, wow. viscosities and densities. Yeah. And again, we had to design the whole machine, morph it from what we had. It was very stressful. It was a challenging situation. Uh, the budgets were overrun because we took on more than we could fight. Uh, but at the end of the day, the team believed in the results. They believed we could do it. And one of the biggest things, I again, learning from my earlier career was that dream bigger than you're capable of. And then we had a mentoring aspect. So the people I had in leadership roles running my department as far as uh, uh, technology leaders 
manage a group of people. So we, we worked in that paradigm where they were able to drive that through, mentor the, mentor the team through. We grew people. And these people today, they're in other roles in other companies doing very, very well. So coming, so coming out of uh, uh, Elopac, my OEM experience, I launched into the food company. So we, we can get okay. into that. So the OEM world and the food world, they're different, but they're very similar because they serve the same people, right? One is pulling equipment, want to buy it. The other wants to sell. At the end of the day, the customer, consumer, is driving both. So... From an engineering standpoint, uh, when you moved over to the, the the food companies, was your role pretty much the same in terms of engineering management, or did your roles change as an engineer for food companies? Good question, Ted. Yes, the role change. Uh, it was a different role. It was you know, responsible for capital investments across multiple operations, facilities, plants. They call them plants, the Kellogg's. Um, and there was basically, you had a budget, you work cross-functionally. So again, as an OEM, you work pretty much within an OEM organization. Again, growing, remember I talked about my career earlier, always trying to grow and incrementally advance my capabilities. So working for the, the food companies, it was more holistic across different functions. So I grew now more, knowing more about finance, more about, you know, why we invest, why a return is required. Um, more about industry regulations and compliance, you know, FDA regulations and safety regulations, um, throughput. So now you take your capital equipment and your materials that run in that equipment, right? So you got materials, you've got food, you know, as an OEM, you deliver the equipment. You may test run it with some of the food and the materials, but you're not producing it day to day to understand the world that they're living. So to really get that information into an OEM is a gap. And I'm going to talk about InnoFlex Solution, why we exist, because there is this gap of what we think we need, they need, and what we actually deliver. Uh, so again, fast forward to Kellogg's, you know, going across marketing and sales and being in those meetings, again, learning. What does marketing want and why? Why do they want the package to be smaller? Why? Because the demographics say that the older people need, they don't, they can't open packages, you know, they don't have the strength. So there's some safety issues with far as uh, their hand, uh, articulation to open packages and the seal quality um, and just learning a lot about food. So really learning a lot about how food is made and how that relates to packaging materials and into the primary, secondary, and treasury, treasury packaging uh, containers. That gave me a whole new perspective. And now you're talking about volume. So you're talking about mass production of products, right? Um, so I learned a lot about just holistically, a lot of things about food for us. So de definitely a growth opportunity working for, you know, starting off at uh, Kellogg's in the food food side of the business. Yeah. And, but that wasn't your last stop before Interflex. So what happened in between? How do, how do we get to Interflex? Oh, yeah. I don't so, think we heard the, the, the other steps yet. No, you haven't. Water flows, right? You got to yeah, follow yeah. the water. And sometimes if there's a valley, it's going to flow. It, it, it's going to flow. So I followed the water. So uh, I was recruited out of Kellogg's to work for Nestle USA um, and to uh, work and lead their uh, packaging equipment group for the foods business, which is their frozen business. Um, and I was a, 
operating an economy of one at the time. There was a position available, probably three years in, uh, for a market role for Nestle USA, leading all of packaging across 30 or so manufacturing facilities. Also working with co-manufacturers with part of our other divisions, co-packers, you know, as we needed to engage. And then build the staff. Again, I built the staff. So the, there was no one but myself. I built the staff. They trusted the plan. We, they had a vision. I locked my vision to their vision, created a strategy and a plan of implementation and execution. We did that. And the key thing about working at Nestle was big food company, similar but different than, than uh, Kellogg. And every company and organization has a culture. So I talked about earlier being able to listen and the millennials versus, you know, not versus, and the baby boomers and now Gen Xs and Gen Zs. You know, how do you co cohabitate together? And again, you're going to hire people from all these different demographics and age groups. So the key is you got to have a, a vision for when and what does when look like to that person and do they believe in it? And then what can they contribute? Find their skill set or their talent, lock into that and help them win. So we're able to build the team uh, where we were responsible for, you can only imagine the size of the capital investments every year that we would make. Yeah. Uh, very substantial, all right, three-digit millions. Um, and we were responsible for working with outside OEMs and with third-party engineering uh, and with uh, our, our different uh, colleagues across the Nestle world globally to harmonize our standards, to harmonize and the right packaging solutions, to drive OEMs into understanding what we need and help them understand what FDA standards mean and all the different acronyms of the food industry, like total cost of ownership and material variance and what that looks like and throughput. So we were able, my role was more strategic at Nestle um, and uh, was able to create some real good footprints and, uh, and actually, you know, recently left Nestle last uh, July to form Flex Solutions, which is right behind. Um, and Ted, as I got into it, I'll just get right to InnoFlex. InnoFlex Solutions was created. Hey, Robert, can I jump in real quick? Sorry, yeah, I had man, a question. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm I know. So I know. Ahead, I'm, I'm so pumped for you to talk about InnoFlex. I had, I had one question that I just yes, wanted sir. to dig in on because you, you, you've covered so many incredible things already. Uh, when you're talking about formulation of teams and, you know, you mentioned needing, you know, uh, different generations of people and you know different uh you're gonna have different ethnicities you're gonna have different generations you're gonna have when you're formulating these teams did you find that uh the the more diverse of thought you were getting in on those teams allowed you to you know make better decisions or um because there's a lot of talk uh it, within the business world about that right now that um and, and a lot of data that's supporting that, that that would in fact be the case. So I'm just curious, you know, you were at Nestle and you were at Kellogg. It, if you don't know who those companies are, you're probably not listening to this podcast and you probably live under a rock. So, um, or don't eat the food or you don't eat. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did you, did you notice that, uh, during your time that getting, you know, getting these, having these kind of mentorship relationships intergenerationally and then bringing people together, was that, was that useful and beneficial? Oh, 100% item. Um, the the whole is better by the sum of its parts. Mm. Uh, and to build a house, you need different materials. Uh, it's a poor analogy, but you need different types of wood. You need different types of mortar. You need, you know, all the tools are different, but you need them all to have a good foundation. I think 
subliminally, uh, unconsciously, because I looked at I look at the world as people are people, and that they're all created equal. They all have value. They all bring something that I don't have to the table that I should listen. And I always felt that there was always someone smarter than me, and I wanted to hire the best talent, always, right? Not afraid, not intimidated by it, because right. you know our roles could be better if we hired the right talent. So I think. Uh, just all through my career, we've always, when I ran staffs or hired staff, I've hired the best available candidate, right? Um, and it, whoever was the best got hired. But I, I saw that the energy level, for instance, for millennials, for instance, and how they view things in the workplace, you know, we utilize that and, and allow them to help us see through a different lens what the solution is to a problem, right? So, and not get so... Uh, stymied because of having silo thinking like it doesn't work that way anymore right if you want to get on a bus and drive five miles an hour and get to your destination in 30 days that's the route faster in, in a day or five or less then you get on a plane you get a diverse team of people you collaborate you weed out thought processes and you train you train people right. you train people about the differences of way they how they think and remember i talked about chicago you know, where my upbringing was, you know, my traditional role to get into engineering, to get my engineering degree, finally got my engineering degree online. As a matter of fact, I, I got it as an adult online was, you know, was a commitment. That's not the traditional route, but it was a route for me. Um, and, and it allowed me to have those positions. And, and now at Innoflex to be the voice of reason into the marketplace, because there is this white space I talked about earlier that's not filled. I don't, in my career, working for OEMs and CPGs and working with third-party engineering, working with internal functions, I've seen and assess the same gaps that I now that I assessed probably 20 years ago. Wow. So uh, you to go out on your own to start Interflex? I didn't hear you, Ted. Repeat, please. I said, was that the spark? to for you to go out on your own to form Interflex? No, wasn't really. The, <laughs> you got very great questions. Like water. Where's the I, water I'm, flow? Yeah, I'm like a, a inner perspective person. I go back to my childhood. It starts in my childhood. I remember the values that my father put on. It was not easy work, but it was work where he was in control and he was able to employ people. So he did more with being in business than he did, would do for himself. So he was able to service the community more. And that was the seed again, the seed. For me, uh, it was about my life's journey, all right? So InnoFlex Solution exists to, to it's a for-profit organization, yeah? The reason for starting InnoFlex Solution is two reasons. One, because of my personal relationship with my creator, you know, we have talks and through my life, we've talked about when is the right time to do this because there's this nudge inside that says you know this is what you should do you're not ready right now but you're going to be doing this and I, was, I rebelled and repelled against it yeah why would you retire from a corporation where you're basically in a great position you have a lot of autonomy and you get paid a very good salary why well, there's no reason to just got a great staff we've got that engine turning they know what to do we know the processes. You can do it in your sleep. Well, that was not what I was supposed to do. So it was a very difficult personal decision because when you reach a level where you're respected in community 
Um, you're respected in corporate America. You have footprint in organizations externally of your corporation where you in some of the speaking, uh, being invited to speak at some of the forums. Um, you know, that's, it feels good. But then you, you so, but what really drove me was checking what my creator said I should do. And secondly, filling this void, running, uh, leading uh, the packaging equipment group for Nestle USA, where we were having some, a lot of success, but there was better successes we could have if OEMs really understood what we were asking them to do. Um, and really understood when you install a system inside of our, our manufacturing facility, there is this process that needs to take place before, after it starts up and after the cell. And a lot of the big gap, uh, Ted, is, is really understanding our key drivers. Why we sell what we sell, why is our consumer asking us to deliver this to their stores, meaning the retail stores and e-commerce? And why are they asking for it so fast? And then the, the OEMs are not equipped to move so fast, and the food companies are trying to figure out how to change their factories to, to address that. So really, what I was facing was, man, we're getting the equipment. Sometimes it's not on time, as I like to have. And then a lot of the, what I was seeing was just the aggravation of getting the machines out of their facilities for various reasons, just not prepared to deliver. So I said, you know, this is a bridge and a flex solution is a great opportunity to, to do two things, to establish a brand to fix the gaps that are in marketplace. And also I have a, a great desire to be a philanthropist in community. I go back to my roots. I go back to when I was in Chicago, how I had, you know, my, I can remember my first baseball coach, how he invested in me for three seasons, and he instilled in me values that I'd taken to me all my, my life. And I said, that's what the world is missing, is people that are really going to get involved, their hands dirty, go in communities, go in areas, and give people uh, hope, give them opportunity. Don't just give them something, but give them the knowledge and the power to do it. Give them an example and say, hey, here I am. I've come up from the south side of Chicago, right? Look at it today. It's not what it used to be, but you can do better. I'm an example. Here's how we can help you do it. Mentor, coach, give them insight. Be there for them for a phone call. When they're in a tough meeting in corporate America, they don't know how to come out of that meeting and how to deliver. When their boss is eating them out and they don't know how they should respond, how do you help groom them to make it through a 30-year career? Well, you know, you're going to be three years here and five years here, not like we were. They're going to be in and out quicker, but still, how do you help them see the whole vision and to fulfill the dream that they have? Again, they're here for a short period of time on this earth. And we want to maximize their potential to give something back to whomever they work for and in their community. You're going to get me preaching over here, Robert. Yeah. You're going. There you. That's awesome. Um, so in a flex, uh, you guys do the, uh, you're doing consulting. You know, you can see it in, in, in the banner if you're watching the video, if you're uh, listening to the podcast audibly, consulting, engineering, packaging equipment. Um, you know, you've got, I, I think it's really important to, that we get this, this holistic view of who you are because it, it really lends itself, it lends a lot of credibility to what, what you're doing, um, both from a, from a practical standpoint and then also the, the philosophical altruistic standpoint. So um, I, that's really cool. So Inaflex is, is filling this gap, how? What, oh yeah. What, what is that, what is that? So the gap is, I'm going to just, at the lowest level, for me to understand, uh, equipment that ships on time, 
your internal costs that are uh, meeting your internal targets and not uh, you're not uh, uh, overlapping or exceeding your 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 budget and products that are to sh uh, ship to stores on time right if you could do those three things you will have uh, revenue coming in and your your costs will be low so we we basically uh, we assess your company your entity on where you are at and where your goals are planned to be and then who are your customers and clients and how do you plan to get that we help fill and pull those fill those gaps with processes and coaching and mentoring if it's process driven or if it's actual tactical so if you talk about again fat how do you get you know do a good fat um with virtual fats today how do you make sure your machines are, are going to be ready to rock and roll and fat um, we, is factory authorized factory, testing yes it is okay uh, but, but before the factory authorized testing before you get there there is a whole set of tools that are not being done today well and so here's where in the flex will look so we would say how is your engineering team um, what's the makeup of engineering team uh, what's the experience level um, how many systems have you done and what systems do you know the basics of packaging systems there's some basics and here are the four basics do you know or this is a question you would infer invariably you would get an answer to why baseline conditions are important on materials why is baseline conditions on the equipment important why is training baseline conditions uh, important to understand and the fourth one is how is this system designed to operate so if you answer those questions on the front side and the very feasibility stage of bidding out a project to your your oems your material suppliers um you know and the product understanding all the variability at, at the end of the day the gap i see is i can sell you a nice packaging machine to to case pack your product i can sell you a nice filler it does it hums like a bird but you know what no one's talking and unveiling that you know sometimes the product we're running is not in spec and sometimes the material is not within spec um we randomly get it out of spec we don't know why we have these hiccups but we have downtime we have we don't meet our case rate so what we want to do is make sure baseline conditions is understood and put processes and procedures in place to overcome them before they're a problem and now you can drive into a lot of tools we have today which is automation you know devices and sensors and internet of things and you know getting data out and ai all those are great but enable in order to enable those you have to do the basics first it's like you want to put a sensor on a packaging machine motor right and also on his gearbox and also a thermal temperature but the, the the center line of the of the conveyor is driving is out of whack right the belt keeps tracking off track well why don't we worry about centerlining the belt first so we don't get an overload on the motor and the gearbox that you're getting a trailing indicator, which is the temperature of the motor, which is a good indicator, but you can have a leading indicator is, are you doing some pre things to ensure that your system is well in balance? So a lot of thinking today is about how to deliver excellence on the front end and use sensors and devices as uh, uh, checks to validate and when things start to tweak and get out of line, you can you know, get the information on your iPhone, get it at your HMI, human machine interface, or your iPad to do something about it.
So let me summarize, Adam. Interflex solution fills the gaps where uh, third-party engineering firms don't look, where food companies don't have the resources or talent probably to deliver it, and where OEMs don't think about food companies' uh, goals thoroughly outside of selling their commodity, one or two pieces of equipment. We think about the system, right? We think about the consumer pulling the, the CPG, the customer, who pulls the supplier, the OEMs. So we think through the whole value chain. Okay. Makes sense. I'm surprised that there was that much of a gap <laughs> for these companies well, that have been around forever. If you look up statistical data, because I love data, I do a lot of data digging, and you look up census data and look at the investment, capital equipment investment globally, it's in the billions. I mean, it's like almost a trillion dollars, 2016 data, all right? And this is probably inclusive of pro pro packaging and processing equipment, uh, maybe pharma, but it just says manufacturing equipment. It's 900 some odd billion. This is public information. Uh, $7 billion of that was waste. So companies, wow. yeah, you look it up, it's out there. I can send it. But the, that's, so you asked me, yeah, is that, yeah, it happened to me. So I'm a living witness to say, yeah, I know it happens because it happened to me. Meaning wow. late shipments, not prepared for factory acceptance tests, failed factory acceptance tests many times sometimes. Uh, internal processes that are not maintained, like project management of the suppliers supplying equipment, not really having a, a, a good handle on their internal structures to deliver on time. And then the third one, I was just made aware of this by uh, an external company that I work with. Um, it could be because they're hedging. They're placing the order before they know what the real equipment is going to, what packages is going to run a product. They're hedging to get a place in the, in the supply chain of the OEM so they can have it delivered. And, and deal with the results later, like tweaking it. They said they get a lot of orders like that. But what that says in today's climate, that's no longer acceptable. If you look at food companies and how they're selling off brands because they're not profitable, well, we need to fix that, right? So we want those, those food companies who are pulling everybody in the ecosystem, the packaging ecosystem, we need to make sure they're healthy. So we need to understand their world. And I thought about this coming just you know, this morning, getting my head around things. If we had OEMs that will just engage more with their customers and un take the time to understand their business from a partnership standpoint before they sell a commodity, they will be probably top of mind and win more business because they understood the challenges that the food companies face and why they're facing them. And their equipment offering provides a solution. Uh, meaning you don't have to be a problem, but I'm just saying you will find that this whole waste of money and, and resources, you know, would be decreased significantly. I, I know it's, it can be done. Okay. That's why Interflex Solution, that's our vision. One of our visions is to, uh, not one of the vision is to be disruptive in the marketplace, uh, to uh, be, a, uh, you know, a, a preferred supplier to B2B businesses to help them win. That's awesome. Um, well, we're we're kind of running up against it here, so uh, I'll I'll jump in and and ask my my favorite question. Um, so, a couple minutes, uh, you know, what are sixty seconds, ninety seconds? You're given the 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 magic scepter, the pet magic packaging scepter, and you're able to wave it and fix uh, any problem uh, in the packaging space. So, uh, what, what's maybe one or two? Uh, problems that you would just love to see solved, and it, you you can say 
you can dream really big. You know, it could just be ocean plastics or something like that. So that's great. Uh, I keep it simple. Okay. This is a term I'm I'm been using a lot and and actually using on some webinars I'm on. It's understanding the modes of operation. Modes of operation. What do I? And that means if you understand the intent of that material, of that product, of the operators, how that packaging system will work, you can design it, you can integrate it, you can sustain it. And all the inputs, sustainable materials, uh, recyclable, uh, AI, they are enablers uh, to ensure that. But if you don't understand the modes of operation, you can't switch and go, you know, high volume, same product versus small SKUs, like running a, a batch of 10 and mm -hmm. turn that line off, right? Or be creative. I think at the end of the day, if I were to sum it up, my most of my conversation has been, does that person across sitting for me trying to pursue my business understand my business? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so my internet uh, gave me a little... Uh, oh question was going to be regarding if you had the superpower. Oh, I already asked him. You I already asked either. him. Yeah, but your okay. internet cut out, so I just and, and jumped the, in. <laughs> and the last one and the last wow. one would be the last part of that would be it would be uh uh be a little more less risk adverse. Mm. And I find a lot of smaller companies, they're able to be nimbler, uh, more agile. And they can, and that's just the nature of their systems, is, you know, let's find a way to be more agile and quicker. I, and then take some strategic risks, right? And uh, uh, because engineering, I get involved in engineering because it's a challenge, solving problems and doing something new. Remember I talked about the yogurt project. Um, it was, yeah, you go to school, you apply all your, your, your classes, but then now you gotta make that work. How are you gonna turn that, that physics problem into this whole problem of, of fluid flow and thermal computation, mm. right? And how are you going to get this heat issue? I mean, so all this stuff is, uh, I, I tell you what, the other thing I think packaging, yeah, there's a lot we can go. Okay. Here, yeah. I just, I, I just started oh, thinking no, about it's fine. Yeah. I've actually, I've actually got a, uh, got a, a hard stop in, in a few minutes. Thank you. So, uh, it's been like, like you said, I mean, we, we could probably have a, a second Robert Champion. It'll it'll be called the Champ is here, part two. There you go. <laughs> yeah, the, the quote book. The, yeah, man, you dropped. I mean, I wrote down so much stuff. Uh, Robert, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you if they want to engage it with uh, with you about Inaflex? Yeah, thank you, Adam. Uh, we we're here to serve you. Uh, our there's a couple ways. Our email address is. Uh, you can get information at. Uh, www.information uh, at InnoflexSolutions.com so or directly in, to me. Is it information at InnoflexSolutions.com? Info. Info, got it, okay. Yeah. yeah. The direct email address directly to me is uh, robert.champion at InnoflexSolutions with an S, dot com. Okay. Um, and, you know, you can go on our website to see what we're doing, which is www.innoflexsolutions.com. And you can call me directly. I love to talk sometimes, you know. It's so busy, we can hardly pick the phone up to talk. We text a lot. But you can call me. I, you know, you can call me at uh, area code 248-214-1242. 
8480 and uh, we will get we'll answer the call and if we miss it we'll get right back to you Perfect. hopefully we can robert this has been great uh ted thanks for jumping on as well yeah. um, thanks robert thank yeah, you both pre appreciate you guys so much and uh till the next episode i guess we'll just keep uh keep sharing these stories so appreciate thank it thank you both right. see thank you around. thanks ted thanks ed yeah